storytelling approaches. This is Demystified, solving DM mysteries in 20 minutes or less, because the only hard part is scheduling the next session. Hi, I'm Jamie. I'm Joey. And I'm Asaf. Today, we're going to talk about storytelling approaches. I wanted to put on my failed writer hat here a little bit and bring to the table that there's more ways to tell a story than the George R.R. Martin Gardner approach, where George R.R. Martin, what he does is he takes a bunch of characters and he puts them in a situation and he figures out what they want and what they will do to go for it. And he tells the story of these characters struggling to get their goals and these characters are in conflict with each other and it can lead to an incredibly realistic storytelling but at the same time if you are a different type of fantasy nerd who reads a lot of brandon sanderson he is very pre-planned and outline driven and so his stories cover a huge amount of ground from chapter to chapter because he anticipates what's going to happen he goes in very deliberately where, okay, so I need to put this character into this situation so that way they can achieve this little next block of story and let's watch them try to achieve it and that is the chapter. And then you switch POV and then you go to another chapter and that kind of has a negative connotation of being railroady because the players might sit back and go, well, you have me in this situation in solving this problem but my character wouldn't have been in this situation. My character wouldn't care about solving this problem. They're just going to walk away. And it's like, that is a very real possibility. Right. And that's something that you need to discuss before starting the game. That When the players are making their characters for a game, they should have some kind of investment in the story that you're trying to tell. Mm -hmm. But it is fun for the characters to do what they want to do. Right. I mean, it depends on the players. If you have players that want to do that, then that's definitely something worth exploring, but it has to be the right game. Right. I will say that there are a couple different outlooks to to look at here of like if you're planning an adventure, if you come to your players and say, "I want to play an adventure about X." Right. Where you're telling them the plot hook, the synopsis of the story, where it's a conflict between these two nations or whatever, or it's the rise of an evil lord, then they're going to have this opportunity to make a character, or they should, and you can tell them, make a character that wants to do that. Right. Because any character who doesn't want to do this, by default, wouldn't be a member of this party. Yeah. The other option for a game is, well, that first option relates to if you're using a pre-planned module or if you're using a pre-made story, like, you know, all of that ahead of time mm -hmm. and you can communicate that to the players. Other option is having a story that is much more, it's less defined. So if you're coming, especially if you're a new DM and you're coming in with players that may not be all there all the time, or they may be, you're running a shorter adventures, it's more of like create characters be part of this adventure to you're going to be in charge of your player's motivation to do this thing you right. figure it out i'm going to give you a problem you figure out why your character wants to do it. right if right. you're running a pre-made adventure it's kind of up to players to decide why their character is going to pursue right. this plot yeah and the problem with that is that with a pre-made adventure that comes printed in a booklet there is the very real possibility of falling off the page yeah as soon as you leave the setting, as soon as you leave the description, 
as a DM, you are either faced with helping the other players get through the rest of the story module or following your rogue party who is moving you into improv land, which may not be something that you signed up for when you volunteered to run a module. Oh, I have a perfect example of this. When I was playing with that same group that's up to now level 20, uh-huh. when one of us back in the day when we started playing, the DM was like, you guys are in the city. This stuff is going on. The guards are after you. The city has been closed down. The gates are closed. He was expecting us to try and figure out a place to hide in the city. And we were just like, we're going to leave. We climbed the walls. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we escaped the city. And he was like, what? And it would, the, the entire session was us overcoming the challenges that he was trying to put in front of us because he really wanted us to stay there. And right. we were just kind of like, but that's that's not like we want to leave because everyone's after us. See, when you're running a homebrew game, you got to be prepared yeah. for what the players are going to do. Right. Yeah, because the players don't know what you do and don't have prepared. But if you have a module in front of you, you can point to it and be like, hey, guys, uh, we 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 got to get back to the pages. Well, I mean, if it's in a module, if they try to climb over the walls in a module, they'll say 20 archers come over yeah. and start shooting at you or something like that. I well, mean, that's may not be something that the DM thinks of off the top of their head if they're not expecting it and they're running a homebrew game. Right. That's something you should keep in mind. When you're running a homebrew game, you want to make sure that you know everything that the NPCs are doing behind the scenes, even when the players aren't there. Yeah. And I will say, it is okay to take a step out of character and to talk to the players and not the characters and say, hey guys, I kind of prepped for you guys to be in the city. Yeah. If you leave the city, I'm going to need to take a break because I ain't got you prepped. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and then they're going to look at them and be like, well, we do want to play today. Yeah. Or they'll be like, all right, well, we do want to leave the city, so we'll we'll come back another time. Right. Like you're putting it on the players to because, again, you can't control the players in the story. You can tell them what you've done and it's okay to have that conversation of like, I'm really not ready for this. Okay, so I wanted to break down a spectrum. There are four approaches that I have listed out and chances are that whatever campaign that you run will have some sort of elements of this and some that are unique every campaign is going to be different but i wanted to just introduce a spectrum to say that it's not all modules and it's not all free for all i wanted to start off very briefly where the idea is that the players show up and it is a player driven experience i have heard that west march's campaign which is an unofficial rule set is kind of this, where the players decide where they're going to go and what their objectives are going to be, and the DM is there to facilitate the adventure. I've never participated in West March's style game. It sounds interesting. I think the problem is with having a player-driven game is that you need to have players that are involved. Yes. They are familiar with the world. They're willing to do the work that it takes to learn about the setting and their characters and what they can do and their options. Yes. In any given campaign, there is a lot of work to be done. And the question is, are you going to do all of it as a DM or are you going to ask your players to do all of it? Because if nobody does the work, it's not getting done. I love that approach. I love to let players just play and just sit back and watch the show. As right. The DM. But it does take work. As a DM, you can't just put the players down in the setting and expect them to know what to do. You got to you do have to plan stuff and you have to design encounters that teach them about the world and what's going on and help them to become invested 
in their characters and the world. And then they will start to develop their own goals. And the player's goals may come into conflict with each other's. And that is the best kind of game. When you got the players who do want to work together and the characters who want to work together, but they have conflicting goals. Right. That approach, I'm glad you brought up the West Marches because that's a very jargon-loaded term. Right. That requires the DM to create plot hooks and create mini adventures within it that the players are allowed and encouraged to ignore. Right. Because... I remember reading somewhere that the original West Marches was like a bunch of DMs and like 20 something players. And it was a discussion between all of them of this group of five players wanted to do this plot hook. So they would go to one of the DMs and say, I want to do this plot hook. And then another group of players would go to a different DM and be like, we want to do this plot hook. And the players themselves would discuss who wants to get together to do the plot hook. It requires a lot of pre-planning. So I want to point out that this is typified by the players are recruiting and soliciting the DM to run a specific plot hook or scenario for them. Yes. This is a very player-driven scenario to shift the slider a little bit where it's more of an equal footing where the players and the DM have maybe recruited each other and they're all equal parts at the table, except that the DM runs all of the NPCs and the players run their character, but it's still very much a shared yes and improv based scenario. I know Azaf, this is actually your preferred way of operating. Yeah, I like having the players involved in the the decision of the story. They tell me a lot of the kind of character they want to play and the kind of motivations that that player has. And I like to pull those details out and say, well, how can I make a story, like a mini set of stories that might be about that, but also entwine the other players? So it's like a lot of pulling from the players' motivations and what, what they're trying to get out of the table. Again, takes a bunch of work, but it's a different amount of work. It's less work than the West Marches, the sandbox game, because I'm not creating dozens of plot hooks that the players are going to ignore. I'm creating plot hooks catered to the players. The most obvious challenge is if player A dies, or if character A dies, not player A, the players stay alive. <laughs> if character A dies, then all of the plot hooks associated with that character unless twin brother shows up oh yeah they're gonna fall by the wayside and maybe the other players are gonna pick them up maybe they're not maybe i can reskin some of the stuff that sucks i mean i started a campaign a few months ago and first encounter the whole beginning part of the story was supposed to revolve around this one character in the group and first thing he does is falls for a trap chases a lone person who like pickpocketed him in the street got lured to an alleyway (laughs) Got jumped, and none of the party followed, helped him. Got killed. The party found him, and they're like, huh, dump him in the well. Oh, geez. You know, level one is the scariest level? It is survival horror. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, they were they were level three. Oh, no. Well. Someone had an extra heaping of. They might have been level five. Oh, boy. Oh, Let, if you die say, at level five. Yeah. Let's just say that they were level 20. Well, they, they were a sorcerer. <laughs> oh, yeah. And they chased uh, an assassin mm. into an alleyway with four other assassins. 
Oh, by themselves. You know, sometimes bad choices have bad consequences. And I hope that the player took this as learning experience of know, know thyself. Well, I wasn't going to rewrite the whole beginning of the story. So I had one of the NPCs that they were traveling with who was a necromancer bring him back as an undead version of themselves. <laughs> so they were penalized a little bit. They didn't get to play the race that they wanted to, oh. which was a they were like a goblin. Sure. So they played an undead goblin with oh, undead stats. Nice. <laughs> Reacting to the players doing the wrong stuff. Yeah consequences that is a whole other episode that scenario where you had combat and a story planned this is i think more typical of what people expect dm prep to be where you as a dm show up with a pre-planned conflict for the party to solve and it doesn't have to be combat the stereotypical example of this is combat where the dm says oh i'm just gonna throw some bad guys at my players today and it's a great way to eat up an entire session everyone loves combat and your story doesn't really move all that far. But there are other things you can do besides going to Cobalt Fight Club and rolling up an encounter. The one that I always think about when this conflict resolution is the exact opposite of combat is like your players are at a noble's ball. Your goal is to convince X noble to do something. Right. I don't know how you're going to do it. Mm hmm. You have to figure that out. Yes. You have all of these tools given to you by your classes and backgrounds and character stories and what you have in your noggin. Have fun. I've noticed that there can be a lot of shifting back and forth between the second approach style, which was very improv heavy, and back and forth where you may have an improv heavy scenario where there's a noble that you have to go and persuade to do something. And then the next time the noble gives you a clue and it becomes a lot more focused where they may have you retrieve a necklace and then it becomes a burglary slash heist. You can't really RP yourself way through locked doors. I'm glad you brought up locked doors. That's like this joke about Critical Role is that doors are their nemesis. <laughs> I'm going to admit, I'm going to fully admit, I've only watched probably a dozen and a half episodes of Critical Role. And it's like, that's it. Mm -hmm. And in those episodes, I found that the thing that they were defeated by the most were doors. It's not just Critical Role, though. I mean... Every D&D group gets hung up on doors sometimes. Right. Like, you never know well, what I the think, door... I mean... I think that's set up by false expectations where DMs are like, you have to roll for everything and a failure means you don't open the door. When really, that's not necessarily the answer. This could be another episode, but it's like, rolling a one does not mean you can't open a door. <laughs> yeah. Because it's a door. <laughs> it just means that when you open the door, it didn't do what you wanted. Right. So we just talked about Critical Role, but I also want to talk about a wildly popular D&D &D podcast that recently wrapped up a season that was less well received because it is an approach. The DM of Taz Graduation, the Adventure Zone Graduation arc was from the McElroys. We all owe Taz a huge debt of gratitude because they were the first podcast D&D &D, to make it popular. So they were trailblazers for where we currently are with how popular D&D &D is. I think that they used the new systems to their advantage. They used new media. They used their existing platform. But whatever it was, they were the first big ones. And their most recent previous arc, they have a new one going. But the main complaint was that their DM was railroading them. And it got really bad where the players were like, we don't want to go into this place and do this thing. And the DM is like, you are now 
in this adventure doing this place. So this is an approach that can backfire if you are dead set on making your players solve specific puzzles or pre-planned combat or RP. Sometimes this can work if your players are bought in and if they are saying this aligns with what we want to do. But if your players are saying this is not what we want to do and you force them to do it anyway, it can backfire. So I know we don't want to really talk a whole lot about railroading, but one thing I want to say is that there's a difference between the players not doing what you have planned, the content that you have planned, or and not solving the conflict the way that you had planned for them. Right. Yeah. Not letting them solve the conflict the way that you had planned is the worst way, the worst kind right. of railroading. Yes. So yeah. I purposely don't think of how are they going to solve a problem. Right. Because I, I used to do that. I will say in the beginning, I was like, to open this door, they got to do X, Y, and Z. And if they don't do X, Y, and Z, the door doesn't open. Now I'm like, there's a door. I don't know what they're going to do to open it. I just know what won't open it. Right. And that's it. Yeah. So it's a completely different outlook and it keeps the players from feeling too railroaded. Right. Because they feel like I had an idea, I did it, and it was successful. I have choice here. I have the power yes. here. That's the biggest thing. Yeah. And if a player's failure feels earned either through dice rolls or it's the wrong approach, it's like you can't talk your way through a door lock, then that's also a way of alleviating railroad. It's when you force the players to fail because they aren't playing how you want to. But the flip side of this very same coin is that if you buy pre-made modules, you are oftentimes signing your players up for railroading and they don't really complain because it's what they're signed up for. Yeah. They know about it ahead of time. Yeah. So I think that in order to prevent this is, again, clear communication with your players. If you are, as a DM, afraid to tell your players that what you are about to do is about to break my session, then you're going to try to do everything you can to keep them from breaking your session and end up breaking it anyway. And I will say, to add on to this, don't have them roll if success is not possible. Right. I've had that where I've been a player at a table and they're, can I pick a lock or something? And they're like, sure. And I roll it and it's like 25 and they're like, you fail. And I'm like, why did you let me roll? I got a 19 on that. 25 is ridiculous as an outcome here. Yeah. How does this not succeed if a success was possible? If, like, if it's not possible, don't have me roll. Just say, you look at it, you try to fiddle with it, and you realize There's no you, have, lock. Yeah, you have no idea how this lock works. Yeah. And then don't have them roll. As a DM, remember, failure is always an option. There will always be another session unless you fail at scheduling it. And there's always another group. If the group falls apart. You can find another one. Right. And just remember that your group may fall apart because they were looking for a West Marches campaign and you were looking to run a pre-made module or they were looking for more guidance and you were looking for more inputs from them. So those kinds of mismatches happen and there's no shame in them. As much communication as possible can help allow the campaigns to be successful. That was one mystery demystified. This was Demystified. If you liked it, we'd appreciate it if you could leave a review or share this with your friends. Our website is demystified.com, just the letter D, mystified.com. Do you have a question for us? Reach out via our Twitter handle, at Pickled Wizards, or ask on Facebook, at Pickled Wizards, same page. 
we might talk about your problem here.